in order to improve our future, we need to first create better vision. We creating imaginations about the future, and then we are wasting all our skills, power, and money to reach those imaginations. Welcome to another episode on Design to Connect. Uh, we are rolling season two, and that means that whoever we are connecting with is someone who is using design to make positive impact, reduce inequalities, and contribute to the sustainable development goals. Our today's guest is an urban planner uh, with some data science knowledge and background. Uh, you might have heard this his uh, TED Talk. You might have purchased his uh, the children book that he's written or joined one of his workshops. Uh, he's the co-founder of Humankind, and his name is Lior Steinberg. Did I say the, your surname correct? You said it okay. uh, pretty good. Okay. There are many ways. There are many ways, too. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Lior. How are you? How are you today? I'm good. Thanks. And thanks for, for having me here. I'm uh, really happy to participate in the podcast. Great. Thank you for, for joining. Uh, so before we go to the conversation, I'm just going to give a short intro on, of um, who you are, and then we will jump in. So, uh, Leo, you're an urban planner uh, living in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, you help cities to go beyond functionality and plan urban spaces that make people smile. That is cool. Uh, every project that you participate in uh, has one thing in common, which is making people-oriented cities. You've been born and raised in Tel Aviv. Uh, you've lived in Berlin and Stockholm, and that's where uh, you've got your uh, master's in urban and regional planning. And you're a Jane Jacobs enthusiast. And because of that, you love great spaces, uh, great public spaces, and you want to make cities better with an emphasis on local and innovative interventions. I approve this message. That was perfect. <laughs> I stole it from your LinkedIn. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually found a video a few two years ago uh, that you were starting a podcast. I think it was exactly in that room. Yeah, I have a friend and colleague, George Liu, and we just uh, one Friday afternoon, just like today, we decided to grab a beer. And uh, uh, record a podcast, but uh, we decided to quit at our peak after one episode. And uh, I think uh, we will keep it there. It's a it's a very specific one episode. Uh, I think it's still relevant if someone is looking online on YouTube. It's still, no, definitely, I, I loved it. And I thank you. Also, so that was great. Uh, so uh, to start with the questions, you've lived in a couple of different cities throughout your, let's say, adult life. Uh, so I uh, kind of want to start with uh, you asking about that and how did that experience living in different cities, being exposed to different cultures, uh, has affected what you're doing today? Uh, I want to understand, like, was there a personal journey that you went through, through your experiences, or what you're doing is... Uh, a passion that comes from your childhood or is something that you wanted to do like way back so yeah. um 
to be honest, I, I think that until I was around 20, I didn't even know that the profession of urban planning exists. So it's nice story to tell people that I always wanted to do it. And I always been busy with the cities, but I actually never knew that it's a profession. And that's uh, because I grew up in a, in a country in, in Israel and in the city, Tel Aviv, that it's very difficult to even realize that there is planning behind. I mean, there is so much mess going on. And of course, uh, the country is pretty young uh, and doesn't have a culture and history of, 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 of great urban planning. And if you look at specifically Tel Aviv, you see that the only great parts in the city were built and designed by British architects and planners that were there while the British Empire uh, was uh, ruling Palestine uh, before the Second World War. So you see that actually everything that was built after the establishment of, of Israel as a, as a country is very car-oriented and uh, very engineered-minded, uh, yeah. which makes sense uh, when uh, you build all uh, new cities in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. So that's that's one thing that if you grew, grew up in Israel, you, you, you might even not think about the professional urban planning. And only later on when I uh, started getting interested in the uh, in the topic, and especially coming across Jane Jacobs, uh, and the books, and of course the classic, uh, Death and Life of Great American Cities, that's when I realized that, wow, okay, urbanism is a thing, there is urban, there are urban thinkers, and this is something I would like very much to pursue. And this realization and other personal uh, experiences and beliefs led me to move out of Israel uh, and, and to Europe. And in Europe, I think, is a better place to study urbanism <laughs> and urban planning. And that's yeah. why I, I'm very, I feel very lucky and uh, to have the opportunity, which I know that many people uh, around the world don't have, which is too good to really, uh, the option to to study urban planning in you know, the well-developed, great countries, uh, which I think is, I wish it was an option for, for everybody around the world. And, and I was lucky enough to be able to do it. Right. And uh, in, in your um, TED Talk, you talk about how, like, living in these uh, three yeah. cities uh, affected the way that you acted, especially, like, as it came to your... Uh, life with yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's that that was one of my biggest realization is that it's when you grow up outside of the netherlands mm. and you hear stories or you get to visit amsterdam you think wow this is incredible how everybody cycles here and it is very easy to just uh, tell yourself a story about the dutch uh, culture and about dutch people and just uh just basically say okay the Dutch cycle because Dutch people like to cycle. Mm -hmm. But my through my uh, journey in, in those different cities, I realized that actually I changed my way of moving around. So when I lived in Tel Aviv and I was already in the age of obtaining a driving license, I did it right away because that's actually mm -hmm. the only way to get around the city 
especially 15 years ago. Now it's getting a bit better. And when I moved to Stockholm or Berlin, I, I used only public transportation because that was the really easy, fast way to get around. And of course, I was a poor student, unable to buy a car. It was just the, the way to go. And they have amazing public transportation systems. And then when I moved to the Netherlands, I, I, I immediately, I mean, I, I saw everybody cycles around me and I bought a bicycle. And I think it, it, it is because of two reasons. And the first is that we are social creatures. So if we see everybody around the cycle, mm. especially people from our age group or yeah. people that look like, like us, and even uh, as a student, if you see business men and women cycle, you are thinking, okay, that's a valid option. But the actual reason why I cycle is not because I'm, uh, you know, uh, like a great environmentalist or uh, I, I, I hate the car. I, I just did it because it was the cheapest, fastest, easiest way to move around. First, Groningen, where I lived, and now in Rotterdam. And I think that this, this showed me that actually the, the, yeah. the environment around you, the people around you, but the built environment around you mostly, they... Uh, move you to to your transportation choice and that's how i i kind of ended up realizing that the only solution to promote cycling is better urban planning and urban design and not just convincing people that cycling is fun which is how a lot of countries try to promote cycling to just make some ads and try to push people to cycle but that, that doesn't help you need to change the environment yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's in- infrastructure that actually works throughout yeah. the whole city. Then <laughs> that's uh, incredible how easy it is and how not popular it is. So it's mm-hmm. possible to do, but it's so uh, so common to fail, actually. That's true. And I, I mean, I know that, for example, Netherlands is also amongst the five happiest countries, <laughs> let's say, always is in the list of happy countries. So do you think that it yeah. can, is, is, it, is it a factor? Do you think that could be a factor? Look, I have to say, I'm, I live in the Netherlands and I'm happy here. I don't like per se the, those, those uh, rankings because they seem to not measure happiness. They measure how similar your country is to Scandinavia. It seems like always Scandinavia <laughs> is top three and all the rest is how similar they are. Then you have those weird... Uh, entrances to the list uh, from different countries that you would not expect and then you might go to a country that ranks very low and see people that are much seem to be much happier than us and much less stressed so i don't know if the netherlands is the happiest place to live and definitely if you look at the world in the europe western european uh, point of view it might be a very great place to live in but it definitely i'm sure that Allowing people to move in an active way, in yeah. an independent way, in a sustainable way, in a fun way throughout the city makes you happier because uh, commuting to work or to school or just going to do errands and like just go to the supermarket, it takes around two hours of your day. It's very quick calculation. It's around 10% of your, of, of your time and maybe even 20% of your wake time, right? So you spend quite a lot going to places, moving around, that's on average, most people. And if you're just forced to sit in a, on a car, in a car and uh, sit in traffic and getting angry, it's just not, not a good way to, to spend your time and your life. 
And there are already studies and research showing that people that have longer commutes, especially with a car, are suffering more, both in terms of physical health, but also in terms of mental health. I came across a nice research showing that there is a correlation between the length of your commute to the uh, percentage of or, or the likelihood that you will get divorced oh, and, wow. uh, in, in the US. I, I, I need to look again for this research to, to publish it, but uh, to republish it. But it is it makes so much sense. I mean, you get home after one and a half hour on the road, so angry, you have time just to maybe eat something, watch some TV and go to sleep. It doesn't sound like a great re recipe for, for recipe for great uh, marriage life right I know. Uh, so yeah I, I also read read something like or maybe i heard it in a podcast that they were saying that okay we we start using cars to be more efficient and faster but right now like the speed of people moving through, uh, through the city also because of the traffic is almost the same as with horses so yeah it's really, i think it it's is really that uh, yeah crossing london with a horse uh, and the carriage was as fast as crossing now London with a car. And it makes sense because the faster it gets to go with a car, more and the easier it gets to get a car, more people will buy a car, making the city more congested. Yeah. And um, yeah, so it's funny because in many countries, it is now, uh, the, like in many, especially, let's say, uh, yeah, countries with a lot of cars, the average speed to go through the city is... 15 20 kilometer per hour regardless of what the the speed limit is i mean the speed limit can be 50 and still it will go very low and cycling is faster so if you actually provide people great cycling infrastructure uh, they will choose to cycle and not to drive a car uh, making driving actually more attractive to those who really need or have to that's true that's true um, okay, moving a little bit from biking to, to the work that you're doing with uh, humankind. Um, uh, you talk a lot with uh, having a human-centric, holistic, and systemic approach in the, in the way that yeah. you work. And I think like those are the best three words that you can <laughs> explain uh, how you work. So um, I, I want to ask you a little bit more about that and how does that process really look like like how do you make sure that you're always working on those three pillars are there specific tools you're using a specific uh, let's say stakeholders that you're trying to engage with uh how how does it look like yeah so of course it is easier said than done and if i look at project that humankind we've been doing in the past or project that I was really focused on or project that the team has been doing, of course, you can always look and see that it is not perfect because the vision that uh, we, we have and we all share is that uh, you really need to put the human as the center. And of course, with the current systems and current mechanisms and current budgeting and decision-making processes, it is very difficult. So um that there are a lot of challenges to do it uh on the other end i think that it's also quite easy if you just change your mindset so if you always try to remember that the end user of your of your project let it be public space design but or also strategy for the city 
uh, the end user at the end is the humans who live in the city. And it is so easy to, to forget it because actually the majority of city making work is not being done on the streets. There are yeah. very few people that are on the streets doing the work. The majority of the work is being done in offices, like I'm sitting here right, right now, and uh, far away from the real city life. Uh, so, and this is, of course, something that we we fall for and I fall for so, so often. You have a deadline, you just need to finish a project. Yeah. You end up uh, doing something very quick um, or not as good as you wished to do. Uh, the problem with this, when you are an urbanist, is that your the results of your projects affect real people. So, I think that the there are very few professions that have so much impact on others. Uh, on the other end, uh, it is a profession that uh, has a lot of stress, especially when you have a, an office or you work for the municipality. I don't think that the people who do those projects are bad people, but they have a lot of stress, a lot of projects, a lot of, they are actually trying to work out in a, yeah, in a, in a system that already exists and it's very difficult to change. And in the organizations that are very rigid. Old, yeah. And old style, right? So it's, I mean, yeah. they also have, they try, I mean, they have also a lot of regulations and rules and budget constraints. So well, coming back to how we try to do it. So first, the mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. Always look at the person as the center. And then also in terms of the design methods that we use, uh, depends on the project. We always try to look at them through those lenses. So if it is about public space study, uh, you know, even creating the user journeys is already helping yeah. you to, um, to look at the public space from different angles. Uh, and also like pushes you to do the participations with the right user groups. Yeah. Uh, it's made be very simple tricks. I, I like the, if you look at just, if you design even a bike infrastructure and you, a bike lane, mm-hmm. and you just ask yourself, would my grandpa and grandma be able to use it? Would my cousin be able to use it? Who is uh, like five years old. Mm-hmm. And if, and would my friends that are my age be able to use it? So, and that's actually uh, incredible how many of our the designs that uh, we make in cities, uh, we as urban planners in general make in cities, uh, don't fit those three questions. Yeah. So that's actually just by asking those few simple questions, uh, you already make much better decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think that we also, when we develop those methods, uh, like our good public space tool, which is a tool that we go out to the to the to the cities and trying to look whether the public space is quote unquote good. Yeah. Uh, we always we we have in this tool questions that uh, reflect different experiences of people. So that's I mean, if you just start with a human as a center and then you go for the plans and the strategies, yeah. it's much easier to make the right proposals. And yeah. I have to say that it is incredible how how easy it is and how just like great uh, I mentioned before create a, a bicycle infrastructure it is so easy to do sometimes and it's incredible how it's not done more I mean I'm I'm baffled by how little it's being done and what what do you think is the obstacle 
I think just like everything, people don't like to change. So mm. it's just like everybody wants to have a sustainable world, but nobody wants to give up on their habits to fly or to own a car. Uh, people don't like to change. And uh, it's very nice that municipalities around the world, they, they say, uh, we want people to change and we want people to cycle more and we want people to walk more and use less the car. But then if you see how a lot of people in cities work, you see that they it's also difficult for them to make a change. And by the way, also very difficult for me to make a change. Eh? So uh, if someone now will uh, show up on my door from a municipality and tell me, from now on, you're not allowed to cycle anymore, although you love it and used to it. And from now on, you need to buy a car and pay every month money for the car and look for parking. I will be very angry. So uh, I understand why it's so difficult for people to change, both citizens and decision makers. And <laughs> yeah, we, we have a long way, long, long yeah. way, I guess. But uh, it's, it's just important to remember that uh, we try to create better cities. So there is no reason to stop, right? No, true. One step at a time. <laughs> and uh, you you talk also about making happy cities or like making cities that make people smile. But also yeah. you work in a very technical and data-driven way yeah. in some senses. And not saying that these two cannot be connected to each other, but uh, I, I wanted to ask you, How's that process? How do you bring these two together and connect something that is completely emotional and like human psychology to data and numbers and yeah. I think that yeah, it's nice. It's a it's a good it's a good uh, question that I have actually while working. Like sometimes I'm, you know, it's very easy to 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 say let's create great cities where people are centered, and then you end up the day realizing oh my god, everything I did today was an. Uh, excel file so wait what does it have to do with uh, with great great cities but then it's really easy to, to to it's it's really easy to just uh get sad about it or get you know uh, lose the momentum or just to think and reflect hey actually there is a direction where we are going uh easier said than done but uh, um basically i think that to to, to convince a city to make a change or to convince residents for a change mm -hmm. you need to quote unquote attack them from different directions so there are people that the human story really works for them you know the emotions mm -hmm. like talking about their children going to school in a safe way mm -hmm. and there are people that the numbers the statistics work very well for them so uh showing statistics about safety and accidents around schools mm -hmm. and I think that the great power of combining those stories with uh, data and emotions with with numbers is that you have much more appealing uh, you have much more appealing story or much more appealing case. Uh, it's very easy to be dismissed if you just come with a story because there is always a engineer out yeah. there with with with, be <laughs> with better numbers than you yeah. and better models uh and there are um yeah and it's also if you just come with numbers people might tell you okay but why, what does it mean to people life how how 
how do you actually change people's life with those plants? And of course, we are always dealing with the environment of humans. So we need also to think in their stories. So it's 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 this strange process in which we go between statistics and data to stories to experiences back to data and for me personally it works very natural because i i am an analytical person but i also just love love cities for being great places where people meet i don't know if it's so intuitive for others as it is to me specifically it works for me Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I have colleagues that love it as well. So I think that for some people it just makes sense, and some people just think it's a uh, way too much uh, time spent on data or way too much time spent on emotions. But I think that's the the best balance. No, that's true. <laughs> and and I I think like in the past couple of decades we we've been used to like collecting a lot of data, but not actually using it. Uh, yeah. I've been uh, doing uh, a, a street work in, in Milan, like uh, for uh, homelessness. And we, I mean, Milan has been collecting data about the gender, the age, the every information of ho- homeless people for the past, I don't know, 15 years. And they've been continuously saying that the situation of, let's say, dormitories in the city is the reason that they are not going to those emergency houses. But still, after 15 years, the same person is still living in the street and the data is not being used but the data is being collected still twice a week yeah. so yeah we, we really i think have to like build this capacity of uh using data to to improve our situation not only collecting them and putting them in excel files yeah and also to turn the data into actionable actionable idea or actionable actionable uh, step because otherwise it's just Presenting the data is very nice, but you actually need to turn it into either intervention or a policy or budgeting a decision. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and looking at it like that is just overwhelming and makes you more hopeless than you think. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's it's a really important especially point. when it comes to things like homelessness. I mean, this is horrible. People with no place to sleep and you know that there is already enough information to make the right decisions, but it's very dif- again very difficult to convince people to make decisions and change the way we do things. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a very big transitional moment. I think we're living in. But uh, exactly. well, soon um, uh, the AI will tell us which decisions to make. Right, so <laughs> we better do it before the computer tells us. I know. Oh, amen. <laughs> okay. This, this, I think, relates also to AI, so maybe uh, this yeah. is a good time to ask this question. So you're uh, developing a new workshop. Uh, I don't know if you've already did it or you're still developing it. The one uh, that talks about beyond flying cars. Yeah. And the way that you describe it is that for many people, mobility futures are still about flying cars, an idea that has been around for hundreds of years, and it's time to move beyond those old fashioned tech driven imaginaries. I love I love this sentence. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but yeah, it would be great if you could uh, a little bit expand on that because I, I think I mean I also agree with that. And I, I feel that for years we uh we've seen modern or developed as equal to technological. And I think that is a little bit changing now. Like 
development doesn't necessarily has to be this yeah, crazy tech driven things. But yeah, can you a little bit tell us what is the modern way of looking at mobility and what is this workshop so about? Yeah, so I will start by saying that it is a it's a, it's a masterclass, a few day workshop basically that we just uh, at uh, our first yeah the first masterclass was given a couple of weeks ago here in Rotterdam. It was very successful with people from all around, actually I would say the world, but mostly Europe of course mm -hmm. because uh, it's difficult to come to Rotterdam only for three days. Uh, and it is part of our collaboration with EAT Urban Mobility. So this is a collaboration where we are developing masterclasses and online courses. Uh, the online courses are free uh, on urbanmobilitycourses.eu or .com. You okay. need to ch check both. But uh, the, the, this masterclass is a work of actually mostly colleagues and partners uh, here at Humankind. So I was not very much involved, uh, uh, although I, I, I was following it and also uh, actually loved the idea behind uh, the, first of all, the title, which I, I found just super cool idea. And also the content. But basically, um, our message in this uh, workshop and this masterclass mm -hmm. is that we creating imaginations about the future, and then we are wasting all our uh, all our skills, power, and money to reach those imaginations. So, in order to improve our future, we need to first create better vision, and maybe flying cars is just not the future. Maybe something else. It might be that the future is cycling. It might be that the future is walking. It might be that flying car is the future, but only for specific uh, needs. And then we want to practice the the, uh, the skills to get to those new visions, to spread those new visions, but also to go get there. And of course, it is very difficult if you are doing it, uh, you know, s swimming against the stream, right? If all if Hollywood is keep showing flying cars as the future, they just have much bigger reach than a few urbanists in Rotterdam. Uh, but on the other end, we feel, and we saw also in the masterclass, so many great creative uh, people from not only traffic engineers and mobility people, but also marketeers. And I mean, a great group of, of, of participants, mostly women, which of course shows that women are so much more long term thinkers than men in some way, um, not surprising. And um, I think that you see that a lot of people sitting in in different organizations, governmental and private, and they feel like something with the future we are working on doesn't make sense and we want to develop tools to get to a different future. So we already had a workshop, the, the masterclass uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, but we will have another one this year. I think around September. So if you still hear this, post, listen to the podcast in April when we record yeah. it, then it's, yeah. you still have time. And we will have it every year now for one or two times. And this is just one of the masterclasses we are giving. So yeah. That's great. What, what other things do you have? Like what are other classes? Yeah. So now in the, in the agenda, there is, or in the schedule, there is, there are Two master classes about cycling, so the designing the cycling city that we will have 
it last year it was sold out so we created this year too uh we will have two times it will be end of august and beginning of september we will have two uh, rounds and that's where we just experience the netherlands on the bike and we learn about the history of the netherlands and how to design cycling cities a uh, combination of yeah that's that's actually my dream i wish to do it every every week uh, just to go around with a bicycle that's, that's a perfect job to be honest <laughs> uh we have a master's uh, sorry a, a summer school together with the technical university of munich so that's where we are uh going to be one week in munich that's the end of july the first, last week of july and the first week of august we will be one week in rotterdam and we are doing a summer school about street experiments there so it's all about uh urban accessibility urban uh street life and the usage of street experiments to promote better uh, urban life so that's also open for registration also for for students and non-students we always like to for all our our workshops and classes we have a mix between young uh enthusiastic students and uh yeah professionals from all ages that just want to learn and collaborate with others so that's that's always fun actually yes great okay perfect later i'm gonna ask you for the links so i will yeah it to the cool thanks a lot yeah sure thanks a lot. um and yeah you also wrote a children book uh, <laughs> you yeah. found all the different mediums that you could contribute to um, uh, podcast podcast is still quite new right like uh, it's all i haven't been to so many podcasts so Okay. I still need to do okay. more. Okay, that's, that's so great. you are helping me on that one. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, and yeah, I, I I remember when you published the post about the children book. I was like, oh my gosh, that that's super cool, and I would wish to illustrate that one. And I I remember that that you wrote that you were saying thanks to the illustrator, and it was it was really oh. interesting. yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the book is called the car that wanted to be a bike. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to a little bit ask you about that and why do you think like educating children about such issues are important and why do you think like um, kind of ex exposing the mind of children to alternative ways of uh, transportation can be good and how can this actually affect the future generation to kind of become the promoter of like maybe alternative ways of thinking and alternative ways of seeing mobility yeah so first i think that your question already kind of answers right like i mean we need to let show children different futures different alternatives just to open up their mind that the world is not there is no one single story and of course if you go now to a bookshop uh, a children's bookshop and you you look for uh books that have to do that deal with cities or with mobility, you just see cars everywhere. Uh, if you look at children playing, they always play with cars, especially boys. They always get cars. They, 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 they are being shown that cars are great uh, uh, mobility options. Yeah. Uh, the cars need to be fast and cool and new. And, uh, and of course, it's also a very masculine way to move around the, the city. And in many of the stories, the coolest boy in class has the best car and the richest people have great cars. So, yeah, that's always the 
the stories we hear, and of course the story at least that I heard as a as a child and the books that I read, right, and the and the games that I played. And I think it's ridiculous because I mean, <laughs> bicycle is by far more fun than than a car. Uh, it it is true that you are sitting now in Italy. That if you get a car in some in a mountain in Italy and you drive on a beautiful mountain, it is also absolutely fun to drive a car. Uh, for many people, including myself, I find it very very fun experience to go fast with beautiful views. But that's not the reality of driving a car on daily basis. The reality of driving a car is that it is just terrible. You sit in traffic, you look for parking, and you suffer. And that's just the reality of most car drivers around the world. And unlike that, cycling is much more fun, especially in places where cycling infrastructure is decent. So cycling in the Netherlands is so much more fun than driving a car. And what I wanted to show in this book is that there are people who chose to cycle because it's more fun. And that even the car could be jealous of the bicycle so it's just a book it's a it's a small fun book about a car that 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 starts to be a little bit jealous of uh, some other uh, bikes and um yeah it is uh it, it, i i was surprised by the amount of people who actually bought it and the pictures i'm getting from all around the world of children reading it it makes me really happy and I'm also working on translating it, of course, to different languages because English it's not the main language of most of the people in the world. And it would be nice to have more people reading it. Uh, the problem is that uh, publishing books is not the, it doesn't make you close to rich. Uh, <laughs> it, it hardly covers the hours you spend on it. So it takes me some time. I'm uh, just doing it slowly. But the nice thing is that the, the, these kind of stories are timeless. So it might take me another year or so to release different versions. But I, I still, unfortunately, know that most of the books out there will be about the cars. And this book is a great alternative yeah, for, for parents who want to show their children something else. That's so cool. And have you been like in connection with someone who have read it? Like, uh, have you seen anyone that has read it? Or- yeah. So I, I I was doing some readings uh, myself oh, to cool. to kids uh, in schools uh, in some schools in a, in a bicycle festival here in Rotterdam. Uh, I get pictures from parents. I mean, people I, I I don't personally know, but send me and tell me the reaction of their child. I it makes me so happy. So if you have read this book with your children and you didn't send me a story about it, please do. It will make me. Yeah uh very delighted and it 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 is uh it's it it it's really so amazing how how you can uh reach so many people with just actually quite a simple medium it's just it's just a small book right but it works so um it's also one of those projects that uh, when you decide to do you i mean at least myself, I decide to do so many projects every <laughs> every week, uh, and ninety nine percent of those projects fail very, very quickly. So it's one of those projects that you decide to do, and you don't know if they will actually happen. But uh, this one actually uh, succeeded. That's cool. Okay, I'm gonna ask you also for the link of that. We can also yeah, cool. In thanks. The description. And yep, I think uh, I'm gonna go to my last question. Uh, All right. 
Yeah, we were fast. Uh, we were pretty fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I, I want to ask you um, about the role that our listeners can uh, maybe play, and if someone is listening and thinking, "Wow, that's really cool! I want to be a part of this movement." I'm not a designer, not an architect, not an urban planner, but how can I uh, kind of advocate for better types of mobility or more sustainable types of mobility in my city? If you know any initiative they can join, any way that they can advocate in general. Wow, because I'm not... Uh, I, okay, so I don't know about all uh, initiatives around the world, but one thing I know for sure is that every city I've been to, and I, I've been traveling around quite quite a lot there is no perfect city out there and even uh when it comes to mobility even the netherlands which considered very good has still a lot of uh things to achieve and what you see in many of those countries is that you have uh grassroots organizations and ngos that um uh, that try to make a change and i think that uh being part of those uh initiatives is probably the best way you could uh, make a change because what happens in most projects is that the people that are against better sustainable transportation, about making cities green, they are very loud. They are always out there. They don't want any change. They want to keep the city the way it is. They want to keep the parking space that they have. They want to keep going to work with car. And I understand them. They're afraid or they have, a different uh, maybe way of looking at uh, cities than I do. But those are the, always the loudest people. And politicians, they cannot take always unpopular uh, decisions, although they are the good decisions. So what you see is that politicians keep uh, just failing. They keep listening to the loud, in most cases, minority. And being uh, a supporter of change, is also very important. So if you, you're not a professional urbanist and you just want to advocate for that, that's already a great start. The second thing is to start going to participation meetings. Same thing. I mean, you have those meetings about the future of the park or the future of the street. And I'm telling you, because I've been to many of those participation as professional, but also as a citizen, most of the people going to those meetings are angry uh, citizens because they really care and anger can really move people. Um, the people who are against plans, for instance, to introduce a bike lane and remove some parking spaces, they will be there in the meeting. And nobody is going to defend your uh, ambitions to be a cyclist. Nobody is going to be there if you are not going to go to those meetings. So help support the cause by actually going to those meetings um, yeah, raising your uh, your voice because the people that are against the great plans, they are always out there. The people that are in favor are just uh, sitting at home uh, complaining on, on, on Twitter, just like me. So it's always good to go to those meetings. And lastly, uh, if you actually want to, to become uh, a professional urbanist or start working in this profession, I... I learned that there are so many ways to learn it for free online. There are so many communities. There are so many courses. I mean, if you just want to learn how to use 
design tools to redesign streets. There are a lot of tutorials out there online, right? Uh, on YouTube, but also other other platforms, including the one I mentioned before, the urban mobility courses. Mm-hmm. This is just one example for just mobility courses for professionals and for enthusiasts that can they can go to to EU funded uh, platform. Uh, but there are so many nice tutorials on YouTube that show you how to design, how to advocate. It, it, it really depends what you find attractive in urban, in urbanism, but you can learn quite a lot and uh, meet like-minded people if you start doing it in your own city. So I, I got to know a lot of nice people just by going to participation meetings and meeting people that want also to just create nicer streets. And I also, by the way, learned a lot from the people who are against yeah. uh, proposals that I support because I really learned why they are against. And many times they have very valid points that one, either I never thought about or two, uh, I thought about, but I didn't explain well how how the plan will affect those people. So it, I think just participating in those meetings is a great way to to be involved. That's true. Very true. And makes us a little bit less polarized. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's, uh, well, it, it's also very easy to get more polarized and just have a fight, but uh, that uh, depends on your, uh, on your temper and how much uh, <laughs> you want to get involved. <laughs> That's true. Thank you so much, uh, Lior, uh, for, for being here. You can check Lior's uh, LinkedIn page, check his book. Uh, his uh, TED talk is very interesting. Also, the workshops that they are doing, the master classes in their website. Uh, I don't know, Lior, if uh, you want to say, if there is anything that I didn't mention and you want to share, uh, please. Um, no, well, well, I think you said everything. I, if someone is indeed interested in one of those workshops, it's always great to see people in, uh, yeah, in uh, Rotterdam. Uh, and I also go around quite a lot giving talks. So if someone is in the crowd in one of those talks and he listens also to this podcast, uh, come after the talk and uh, say hi, because I'm always happy to speak with people. It's always nice. So That's happy great. always to have a, a discussion with someone. It's always nice. That's great. Do you come to Milan anytime soon? Might you? Uh, well, I think it might be, there is not, no, not planned before the summer, but I've been there last year, so probably, probably will. Okay. And it's yes. reachable by, uh, it's reachable by a train, right? Yeah. It's pretty, pretty easy. Yeah. I think so. I, yeah. I thought you were, you were going to say reachable by bike. I was like, I'm not sure. About I, well, probably as well, but, uh, I, I, I think I will stick to the train in that one. <laughs> yeah, <that would> <laughs> Thank you again, Lior. If, uh, yeah. And. Thanks to our listeners. If you like what you hear, uh, you can subscribe, follow on uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, and all those different channels. Uh, thanks again, Lior. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.